This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I give you greetings today in the Holy Spirit on this great feast of the Spirit, the Feast of Pentecost, which is, with Christmas and Easter, the greatest feast of the Church year. The Church celebrates the Paschal Mystery, that the Father sends the Son all the way into God-forsakenness in order to save us. And then he calls the Son back to life in the resurrection. Then together, Father and Son, breathe forth upon the church and upon the world their Holy Spirit, the love that they share. As I've been saying now for the past couple of weeks, the life of the church is the life in the Holy Spirit. We now participate in the very life and being of God. This is the great feast of the church. Now, this life in the Spirit looks like something. It's not just an abstraction. It's described especially in the Acts of the Apostles and in the letters of Paul. Last week we talked about certain official manifestations of the life of the Spirit, offices that the Spirit inspires. Remember I spoke of apostles, those who establish churches, prophets, those who are on fire with God's word and God's truth, evangelists, those who announce the gospel of Jesus Christ, pastors, those who shepherd the church. All of these are offices inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, what else does the life in the Spirit look like? Let me read to you from this magnificent account from the Acts of the Apostles describing Pentecost. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly, there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as a fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's like a strong driving wind. Wind is powerful. It uproots, it overturns, and it is uncontrollable and unpredictable. Jesus himself says, you know neither where it comes from or where it goes. The Spirit blows where he wills. Upsetting, unnerving, transforming, life-giving. There's the Holy Spirit. There is something, Christians, wonderfully untamable about the Spirit. Just when we think we have God corralled, we have the ways of God figured. The Spirit has a way of blowing over all of our structures, all of our assumptions. There's something wild and lively, fiery about the Holy Spirit. It also inspires speech tongues as of fire, 
all these spirit-filled apostles are going to become preachers of the word. What I want to focus on today are what Paul calls the sign gifts of the spirit. They're being described here, by the way, in this account of Pentecost. The sign gifts. Not so much the official roles, evangelist, apostle, prophet. But now these rather amazing, spectacular, remarkable signs of the Spirit's surprising power. There are three that Paul especially mentions in 1 Corinthians. Miracles, healing, and the speaking in tongues. And I know this sounds a little bit strange, a little bit fuzzy, off-center, healing and miracles and tongue-speaking. Isn't it all just a little bit unsavory? Well, I wouldn't say unsavory. I would say surprising. But the church, I think, has to be open to the many ways the Spirit chooses to speak himself. And among them are these miraculous, spectacular, amazing signs. Let me say a word just about a couple of them. The gift of healing. Jesus clearly was a healer. It's one of the most basic truths proclaimed about him in the Gospels. From the very beginning of his ministry to the end, Jesus is a healer. He heals the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the lame. He even raises the dead, as we saw a few weeks ago with the story of Lazarus. Jesus is God's power restoring creation to its original beauty. And we see that Jesus' first followers have this gift of healing. Peter and Paul are described in Acts, both of them, as healers. You'll see it in many of the stories of the first preachers and evangelists. Mind you, too, not just in the first days of the church, but whenever the church expanded, went out to establish new churches, you'll find often this remarkable manifestation of the healing gift. Think of just back in the 19th century, little Bernadette in a town deep in the south of France sees a vision of the Virgin Mary, and then she discovers this font, this source of water, which has been a cause of healing over the past century and a half. This gift of the Spirit, listen now, not given to everyone, obviously, but is given to some in the church for the purpose of participating more fully in the life and the ministry of the Lord. Why has it been given to the church? Well, because the church is the life of Christ, and we carry on what Christ has done. Has it also been given for missionary purposes, as I've said? I think so. What makes the word of an evangelist credible? Well, in some cases anyway, these amazing signs that he performs or that she performs. Doesn't mean that we should eschew normal routes of healing. That because the gift of healing is given to some in the church, we ought to just seek out healing through prayer. Obviously not. God, our God, likes to work through secondary causes. When a physician, with his skillful hands, removes a cancer from your system, when a doctor prescribes with his knowledge a medicine that cures you, well, that's God healing you, but using these secondary means of physicians and surgery and so on. But does it mean, on the other hand, that God doesn't sometimes 
in very direct, amazing, even spectacular ways, intervene to heal. Well, no. That does happen in the life of the church. Ought we to be open to it? To ask for it? To be receptive? Yes. Because the Holy Spirit does give and continues to give the church this gift of healing. Another of these remarkable sign gifts, and it's the one that's on display in the reading that I read to you from the Acts, is the speaking in tongues. Now, much has been said, much has been written about speaking in tongues. I've spoken to you before about the Pentecostal revival that occurred throughout the last century. The roots of it go back to the very end of the 19th century. There was an American named Charles Parham. He and his followers decided, you know, why don't we pray for and ask for these same charismatic gifts that seem to fill the early church? Tongues and prophecies, words of wisdom. If they existed then, why couldn't they exist now? And so Charles Parham and a few friends gathered, and in a very concentrated way, they began to pray asking God to give them these gifts. And, by all accounts, they received them. This small group began to prophesy, to receive words of knowledge, and most remarkably, to speak in tongues. In some cases, they'd start speaking, and they themselves wouldn't recognize the language. But someone else in the group, maybe who was from that heritage, born in that country, recognized the language. Many of these early Pentecostals went off on missionary work, empowered with this new gift of tongues. What do we make of it? Do we accept it? Is it just crazy? Well, I think it's a rare gift. To be an apostle, evangelist, pastor, those are more common, ordinary gifts, gifts of office. The gift of healing, the gift of tongues, they're rare. Only a few people in the church have them. I don't think every baptized Christian is expected to speak in tongues. I think these are particular and rare gifts given for a purpose. Paul, by the way, could not be clearer on this score. When Paul talks about these amazing, spectacular gifts in the first letter to the Corinthians, he says, when you use them, you always use them for the edification, the building up of the church. Might the church have been given over the centuries this gift of tongues precisely for the purpose of evangelization? Well, sure. There are even stories, you know, in a Catholic tradition about some of the great saints suddenly having the gift of speaking in tongues. St. Francis Xavier, the Jesuit missionary from the 16th century. They say that when he would go to India, he'd go to the Far East, suddenly he would find himself able to speak in the languages of the people, though he had never studied them, though he never knew them. So does the Spirit sometimes give missionaries and evangelists this special gift for the purpose of announcing the faith? That's one form of speaking in tongues. There is, I think, though, another one, which is perhaps a bit more common. In fact, if you go today to a Pentecostal service, or on the Catholic side you go to a charismatic service, you'll find this type of speaking in tongues on display. 
What I mean here is a kind of ecstatic speech. Someone's not somewhat speaking an articulate foreign language as they are speaking to God in prayer in a way that transcends the ordinary bonds and bounds of language. We use our ordinary logical speech to describe things, to argue, to persuade. But somehow we know that when speaking of God, that which stands beyond all finite existence, that power which goes beyond anything we can see, think of, imagine, somehow we have to give voice to our praise in a language that goes beyond rational speech. I think when you walk into a Pentecostal service today, a Catholic charismatic service, and I bet when you walked into the early church that Paul was speaking to in Corinth, you would have come across, and you do come across, this phenomenon. What can sound just like gibberish, so much nonsensical speech, is in fact a kind of ecstatic praise. Now listen, Christians, is this good for us? I would say yes. We who live in this post-enlightenment time, you know, the enlightenment puts such a great stress on reason, on logic, on science, and God love all those things. We've benefited from them enormously, but there are realities with which we deal that go beyond what reason can grasp, beyond what speech can say. And so the Spirit gives us a gift so that we can praise God in this sort of transcendent language. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. Is this ecstatic speaking in tongues a kind of sharing in the language of the angels, the language of praise? And so on this Pentecost Sunday, let's be open to the sign gifts, these extraordinary manifestations of God's Spirit, healing, prophecy, Yes, even the speaking in tongues. Let's be receptive and open to what the Spirit might be doing in our lives. Allowing us to praise God in a language even beyond our ordinary speech. Have a happy Pentecost, and God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.